Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome to the Crop Watch Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Bartles, a water and integrative cropping systems educator with Nebraska Extension. And today I will be joined by Tamara Jackson Zims and Dylan Mandel, and we will be talking about corn and soybean diseases. Thank you both for joining me today. How are you doing? Thanks, Melissa. Doing great. Doing great, Melissa. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Can you each tell our listeners more about your role in Extension? Absolutely. I'm the Extension corn pathologist for corn diseases and grain sorghum diseases statewide here in Nebraska. And I am the Extension soybean pathologist statewide in Nebraska as well. So unfortunately, there is a, I guess, good percent in Nebraska that's recently been hit with hail. Some places have unfortunately been hit more than once. With the recent hail events, what diseases and their symptoms, and we'll start with corn first, do we need to be concerned about? Well, you're right, Melissa. You know, we've had a lot of severe weather across the state over the last several weeks. And, you know, plant wounding or wounding to the corn plant or any of our crops is important for us to think about and some of the repercussions later on. You know, some of those fields were heavily impacted and completely destroyed, but the vast majority of them were not, and they sustained varying levels of damage, whether that was caused by hail or high winds or sandblasting. And so uh, I'd like for everybody to kind of keep that in mind, that different types of damage don't necessarily matter, but that there are a number of pathogens that can take advantage of the wounds that were created. And in corn, we've got a a handful of them that are pretty common, and it really matters when that damage occurs, what diseases they might see. And we generally want to start looking for some of these diseases within a few days to two or three weeks later, you might start seeing evidence of it. And so in particular, since some of this damage happened early in the season, I'd say we should start looking for some of our common bacterial diseases, the Most common one in corn is Goss's bacterial wilt and blight, and that's been a historic disease for us. And this is an important reminder that the pathogen doesn't go away. It does continue to overwinter, and often we may not see it for a few years. And when we have wounding events, hail events like this, we often see it flare up in fields, sometimes in maybe corn hybrids that were less resistant than people were expecting and they may see more damage than they thought. And so uh, what to look for for Goss's wilt, lesions that can be or grow up to very large lesions on the leaves often have that dark water soaking discoloration around the edges, especially what we call freckles, that uh, dark tiny spots on the edges. Some corn hybrids show that more than others. And so uh, we also see the bacteria pushed onto the surface of the, of the plant. It might give it a a shiny appearance, like it's been spritzed with shellac or or hairspray. And you may see that better on the bottom because it does wash off with rainfall and irrigation. Another common disease that I think we might see more of this year is common smut. You know, we see some smut every year, but that's caused by a fungus that also takes advantage of wounds, whether those are caused by severe weather or wildlife or whatever. And so uh, common smut is the one where you see the mushroom-like galls, and they can develop anywhere on the plant, whether that's on the ears where we tend to recognize them more easily, where they're bigger and fleshy and filled with 
those black spores, but it can develop too on the stalk where they can be very large or even on the leaves where they can be much smaller and they look more like raised bumps or uh, warts on those leaves. And so um, that's one that I think we'll see more of this year, but there's others too, you know, like uh, the bacterial leaf streak one we may see more, but we're already seeing that disease. That pathogen doesn't need a wound to get into the plant. It takes advantage of natural openings. I think that's less of a concern, uh, Hoka spot. If we continue to see this pattern, we can see some other diseases later on as we uh, have damage to stalks and ears that we can see some stalk and ear rot diseases later on. But we'll, again, have to play that by ear and watch what happens. Great. Thank you. All right. Dylan, how about for our soybeans? I know, at least on the soybean side, some people might, they're going to have kind of all different growth stages of soybeans. You know, some of them that were hailed out, they're going to go through and replant. But from the hail side, what are some diseases and symptoms that we should be concerned about for soybeans? Yeah, absolutely. You know, anytime you have plants in the field that get wounded, whether that's from hail or, or wind events or sandblasting, like Tamara mentioned, you've got an, a new opportunity for a pathogen to get into that plant. And a lot of pathogens don't need a wound to enter the plant. They can find their own way in or make it. But in the case of wounding type weather patterns like hail, what we can expect to see is an increase in pathogens that need that wound to enter. And in, in the case of soybeans, that's going to be a bacterial diseases like bacterial blight and bacterial pustule. Okay, and bacterial blight, what it's going to look like in the field is going to be angular lesions, which begin as small yellow to brown spots on the leaves. And over time, the center of those will dry out and chlorosis will begin to develop around the margin of those spots. And that's just going to be a slight yellowing around the edge of those leaf spots. And over time, those leaves will start to have a, a more rugged or ragged looking appearance. Bacterial pustule, on the other hand, it's going to start off as tiny pale dots on the leaves with raised centers. And, and as the disease progresses, those small light colored pustules will begin to form in the center of those spots. And over time, those will coalesce and turn brown. So you'll have sort of small clusters of, of small brown spots on the leaves for bacterial pustule. You know, Melissa, I might add a little bit about Goss's wilt since we did get some hail early uh, and it could become systemic in those plants injured younger. In fields of corn where we experienced this damage when the plants were small, especially as seedlings, before the stage of about V6, keep in mind that the growing point and all of those nodes are stacked really tightly together. And so when those plants become damaged by hail, then it's a much greater likelihood that all of the nodes could be impacted and then we have systemic disease. And when that occurs, although it's less common, Goss's wilt develops and can actually kill those plants. And so we can actually see some stand loss. And as we have seen in some places in Nebraska here recently where we've had some hail, we're also seeing some bacterial stalk rot and the very warm temperatures and high humidity are going to favor that. Of course, the damage caused by the wounding as well. And so if you're trying to differentiate a, a slimy bacterial disease from another one, for bacterial stalk rot, you, you just need to smell of it, unfortunately, because it smells putrid. And so uh, not to say that the other bacterial diseases smell good, 
but the one, the bacterial stalkart is especially horrible. And so uh, you can use your nose to help diagnose that one. All right. So if I drive by a field and people are out there smelling their corn, I'll know what they're doing. <laughs> you'll, you'll know it. You won't be able to smell it from the car. You got to get up close and personal with them. Yeah, some of that back, ooh, some of those bacteria, they're, they're nasty. So that's what we should be looking for with the hail events. But what corn diseases and their symptoms should we be on the lookout for in general in this growing season? Well, you know, in corn, I think we want to keep in mind the, the normal players out there. And to remember, too, that the weather conditions really dictate a lot of which of the diseases develop and how severe they become. Of course, we influence that quite a bit, whether it's with irrigation or continuous corn or other factors. And of course, depending on what part of the state you're in as well. We're already seeing some bacterial leaf streaks showing up out there, even before we were seeing the widespread hail damage. And so uh, be sure and look for those narrow streaks that are between the leaf veins. And uh, if you hold that up to the light, it'll often have a pretty bright yellow discoloration to it because those bacteria produce a bright yellow pigment, a, a mustard yellow pigment. Looking at the uh, other things I'd like for people to keep in mind, I want to make sure people keep in mind that in the fall of last year in 21, we did see tar spot movement into Nebraska. And right now, although at that point it was so late in the season, we only confirmed tar spot in about six or eight counties in the easternmost third of the state. But I can assure you that there are other counties where tar spot did develop, but it was so late in the season, we didn't get confirmation. It is likely that we will see tar spot redevelop. And, you know, we can't always guess exactly when that happens, but when we have cooler, wetter weather, that's at much higher risk. And so my bet would be that as we approach the end of the season, you know, after we get into the reproductive stages, if the conditions, when they start to cool off, I think we're going to start seeing more of that and or when we get into a rainy pattern. And so I would encourage everyone to watch for those black dots, those little reproductive structures on the, on the corn leaves. They can be very tiny like the pinpricks or they can grow up to the size of a uh, pencil eraser. This is a disease caused by a fungus that we know can be controlled with a fungicide. But in general, this is a new disease for us and we don't have the inoculum built up yet. In states east of us where this has been a problem since about 2015, it took about three years for them to see enough disease where they needed to begin treating it as the inoculum built up. While that's likely here as well, we do need to watch it. Our conditions are somewhat different. And so, uh, for example, we know irrigation, especially overhead irrigation in a pivot, can exacerbate disease but it's unclear what we might expect under those conditions. So I hope people will scout for that disease. And when they find it or they have any questionable symptoms, to please let us know, submit a sample to the UNL Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic, or contact one of us in extension, an educator or specialist, to get more information and maybe get a sample to us. There are maps online too to help you monitor where that disease has moved. IPM pipe for tar spot is an important resource, but it's also the same place where we put the southern rust monitoring maps as well. There's resources out there. Be watching your uh, CropWatch newsletter and other social media as we uh, update those to let you know what's going on. 
Great. Thank you. All right. So how about for soybeans? What diseases and symptoms should we be on the lookout for moving through the growing season? Yeah. You know, like Tamara said, it's going to really depend on what weather we're experiencing out there. You know, pathogens relationship to that plant dependent just sort of on on temperature and humidity a lot of the time. It, this growing season started off really dry and then we kind of expected or wondered or hoped it didn't stay that way. And and we've had a lot of hail in the meantime and a lot and some precipitation that came with that as well. So I I don't know what the rest of the season has in store, but just some some things that you could kind of be on the lookout for with all that in mind. One of the things is going to be white mold. So white mold has historically been a problem in, in more northern states in the Midwest. It has made its way down and, and in certain parts of the northeast in the state, they've been experiencing white mold a little bit more regularly. But also in a couple of pockets in irrigated regions in the state, white mold has been observed as well. So it was a little bit worse last year. So it could show up again. But one of the things to keep in mind with white mold is the timing of susceptibility for that soybean plant. So the plant is only going to be susceptible to white mold during flowering. So you need to keep a lookout on the weather just to see what sort of weather conditions are going to be present when that plant is at peak flowering or when your field is undergoing peak flowering. Uh, and during that time, if you're going to have a lot of moisture and humidity and you have a history of white mold, it might make sense to make some management decisions or apply a fungicide leading into that. Another thing to keep in mind is if you've had white mold under irrigated conditions, one way to sort of prevent that if you've experienced it in the past is just to try and pause some irrigation around that window uh, if, you, if, if that's a problem you've had. A second problem or a second pathogen to keep an eye out for is frog eye leaf spot. So frog eye leaf spot has been a problem in the state for a while, but more recently, the pathogen has developed resistance to group 11 fungicides, which are the QOI or strobularin fungicides. Okay, so with the development of fungicide resistance to those group 11 fungicides, what that means is an application of those fungicides on a field with frog eye leaf spot is not going to be as effective or effective at all at stopping the disease progression in your field. So one thing you can do to get around that or to work with a, a fungicide resistant population is to use a different fungicide. So in this case, there are other fungicides available that are effective against frog eye leaf spot. And it would make the most sense to use multiple other modes of action. So selecting multiple types of fungicides uh, and applying all of them to prevent the continued development of that disease. And then the last thing I just want to mention again is soybean cyst nematode. That's been a problem progressing across the state for quite a few years now, but it's something that it's soil borne. It's not moving quickly. And just because it's in your county doesn't mean it's in your field. So you may have gotten away without experiencing it for quite a few years now, even though your neighbors may have been dealing with it, but that could change anytime. So it's always good to know what's going on in your fields. It's good to know if you have soybean cyst nematode. So if you want to figure out how much soybean cyst nematode, if any, you have in your soil, there's a great opportunity funded by the Nebraska Soybean Board. They're paying for free testing of soybean cyst nematode soil samples across the state of Nebraska. So if you would like to submit a sample, you can get free bags 
and submit samples to the UNL Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic. At your local extension office, you might be able to pick those up. Most of our educators do keep those on hand. You can always call ahead to check, but uh, that is a great resource out there. Absolutely. Well, I guess one topic that we haven't quite covered yet, but we have been getting questions on, is the use of applying a fungicide on a crop that has been hailed. I know, Tamara, we talked a little bit about this, but did you want to expand on this a little bit before we wrap up today? Sure, thank you. I mean, I think most of our listeners may remember we've had a lot of favorable data showing benefits from the use of foliar fungicides. But unfortunately, we have not seen consistent benefits from the use of fungicides that were applied because of hail damage. And so some of those data came from the University of Illinois and Iowa State University, where they're dealing with some of the same pathogens on corn that we are. And so a few things to consider if you're thinking about using a fungicide or applying one after your crop has been damaged. Keep in mind that you need leaf area to capture that product. And if you've lost a substantial amount of leaf area, it will impact the benefits of those products and you're going to lose a lot of that to the ground. The other thing that I think is important for us to mention is that just like Dylan said, you know, not all of our pathogens take advantage of wounds to get into these plants. Some of them can make their own way in or or enter through some of the natural openings. And so not all pathogens will be favored necessarily by hail. And the ones that generally are favored by wounding are not usually ones that you can control with a foliar fungicide anyway. Most of those being bacterial pathogens that take advantage of wounds. Even some of the fungal ones, like the one causing common smut, that's a localized infection. It's not one that you can use a fungicide to manage anyway. And so fungicides being used for disease management, uh, that's just why we haven't recommended them after a hail event. We do recognize and acknowledge and have some data showing some of the plant health benefits, like in corn, improved standability at the end of the season. That has been pretty strongly tied to a certain crop stage, though, usually that VTR1 timing where we've seen that. But even then, we don't see that consistently every year in every field. That's often determined pretty strongly by some of the hybrids that are out there. And so there's a lot of parts to this. And this is hard because this is very emotional to see this widespread damage. And I know we all want to react and do something to help. And so uh, you might follow the resources provided by Nebraska Extension, your local educators, and the Hail No resources that we have out there. And you'll see we often recommend waiting a few days to see what the actual damage is going to be. And so uh, please contact us in Nebraska Extension if you have questions. Yeah, so you can find that at cropwatch.unl.edu slash hail no, all one word. And actually, there was also a webinar done by our ag economics group that was on June 16th. So there's a webinar that also talks about the regrowth, the hail no resources. And one of our ag economists was on there and Justin McMechan was on there too. So uh, another webinar that our listeners can catch if they missed it. Are there any programs or articles coming out soon related to this topic? An- another resource that we just put out is, is an article on CropWatch's website. 
and it's on the frog eye leaf spot fungicide resistance. It's just an update of how far that's progressed in the state. Uh, so please look into that if you guys would like any more uh, information on frog eye leaf spot fungicide resistance. You guys do a great job putting that information out on CropWatch. So cropwatch.unl.edu. Is that short EC, that corn disease profile that is uh, focused on diseases in corn that you might observe after you've had a wounding event. And that's a short one-page publication front and back where we have a lot of pictures that people can use to uh, help them quickly identify what's going on with some brief descriptions on the back. Well, thank you guys for joining me today, and I hope everybody has a great summer. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it, and good luck, everybody. Thanks so much for having us.